How are we doing today? Everybody excited for a long weekend? Yeah. Well, I wasn't sure uh, growing up uh, a pastor's kid, uh, whenever there was long weekends, they'd always bring in, you know, the JV team. And it just so happens that dad's out of town on a long weekend and I'm up here. So while I may be JV, we're not going to have a JV experience today. Amen? Amen. You know, I was, um, sometimes my, my wife uh, watches these Oprah master class and different things like that, you know, and I'm probably like most guys where I'm like, it's so dumb, and then she goes to change the channel, you're like, no, it's fine, it's fine, you can keep, keep it on. She made this comment uh, once, and I, and I thought a lot about it, because I don't know if you're anything like me, but do you ever find it's hard to stay in a moment? Does anybody else mind race, and uh, probably with um, the introduction of mobile technology and social media in our lives, um, we spend a lot of our time uh, in many places at one time. Can anybody relate to that? You know, when you're, uh, my wife and I were at dinner last night and, and both of us were, were posting and engaging in uh, side conversations and relationships while we were on date night. Anybody else relate to that? And uh, it's just kind of a cultural norm now. And uh, she made a comment about, they were asking her, what are, what are some of the things that you feel like have made you successful? Um, and one of the she said was, I really learned the discipline of being in the moment. Whether I wanted to be in the moment or not, I learned the discipline of being in it. And uh, I want to invite you this morning into the discipline of this moment. Um, I want to encourage you that I know that there are things in your life, uh, whether it's kids or relationship or work, um, that will certainly uh, come into your mind. And, uh, but I believe that God wants you here today. I believe God wants to minister to you and challenge you. And I believe God wants you to exercise the discipline of being in this moment. Amen. So let me pray that over us, and then we're going to jump into God's Word and just have a ravishing time. Amen? Amen? Amen. Father, we pray for this moment. Father, we believe whenever we open your Word, whenever your Holy Spirit is active in a place, God, it's a holy moment. It's a sacred moment. And Father, it certainly warrants, it certainly warrants us having the discipline of being in the moment. And so, Father, we give you this moment as an offering. We give you our mind and our emotions and our spirit, God. We give you our will. We give you our attention as an offering. Um, and Lord, we ask that you multiply that offering in our own lives. In your name we pray. Amen. Everybody say ownership. ownership. Everybody say ownership. Ownership, ownership is, a, is a beautiful thing, uh, but often a very difficult thing uh, to possess. Yet we all, we all want ownership. As a matter of fact, ownership is something that has almost been instilled or it's innate in us since we uh, were born. I recently have um, moved to a new role at our church where I teach uh, because I started a company that has me on the road a lot. And so I've been on the road a lot. And one of the great things about coming home is the passion and excitement that your kids have when they see you after not seeing you for, you know, a few days. And so you come home and it's, dad, it's so amazing. And uh, last week we were, uh, or I had gotten back in town and I had the boys on my lap, both of them. And you know those moments when just all the world's right? You know those, those handful of moments, you know, where you're just like, this, this is it. This is why you live. And I'm sitting here and I got my boys on my lap and I'm watching some show they want to watch. And I'm just holding them up there and feeling like this, all the world's right. And Crosby looks over at me. He's my two-year-old. He looks over at me and he says, Dad. I said, yeah, buddy. He said, I don't like you. I like mom. And I said, it's funny. I don't, I don't remember asking you. 
I didn't probe. I, I didn't say, hey, if you had to choose. You know what I mean? They were, they were, I didn't ask you if you like me or not. I mean, you just sabotaged a beautiful moment. So I pushed him off and I cuddled my four-year-old real close. I said, I don't like you. No, I didn't do that. That'd be very scarring. I didn't do that. But I did. I laughed because I thought, uh, even at a young age, there's something inside of us that grabs ownership. There's something inside of us that associates ourselves with things. And all of us in our lives, we want to progress from proxy to ownership. Uh, we, you know, we don't want to rent our whole lives. We don't want to date our whole lives. We don't want to lease necessarily, some of us do, our whole lives. But the reality is we want to call things our very own. Challenge is, oftentimes, it's certainly in church, how do we take ownership in what God's doing here? See, we understand ownership in our everyday lives, right? We understand owning our, our job and, and, and owning our home and owning our cars and, and owning our roles as parent and, and spouse. But oftentimes in church, this can be this black hole of ownership, right? Like we, we feel like, well, ownership is association, right? So we associate here. Therefore, we have ownership, but I think all of us would agree just because we associate with something doesn't mean that we own something. And so today I want to talk to you about ownership. I want to talk to you about ownership here. I want to talk about ownership in your spiritual life. A lot of times we don't know how to get from here to there. As a matter of fact, I was at a leadership conference not long ago and the guy got up and he said, I want to talk to you about leadership. And I'm going to boil it down real simple. Here's leadership. You ready? We're here we want to be there, and here's what leadership's all about. How do we get from here to there? If you can figure out how to get from here to there in all these areas of your life, that's what leadership is. It's here to there. And so a lot of us come here and we associate with Influence Church. We associate with our spiritual lives, but the question is, have we owned it? I have a really unique opportunity in my life that that God saw fit to yank me into, uh, we build mobile communities for um, large loyalty brands. And so uh, people that have uh, loyal followers all over the world, we, we localize them on, on, on mobile technology. And so one of the clients that we just started working with was with a group called Convoy of Hope Feed One is, is, is the name of the group. And they asked me to fly out to Springfield and kind of get a tour of everything that they were doing. And so I flew out to Springfield, Missouri. Anybody ever been to Springfield, Missouri? That's like an, like an Andy Warhol, like never stop. He was just, I walked in, I was like, wow, like the world really can still be slow. So if any of you ever decide you don't want to live here, Springfield, like people were waving at the train going by and eating snow cones and waving American flags. And I was like, wow, America still exists. This is crazy. It's crazy. So anyway, if you're ever looking for a hot vacation, Springfield. Um, so I walk in, they said, do you know the story of, of Convoy of Hope Feed One? I said, no, I, I don't know it. I mean, per se, I've read a little bit about it. He says, well, our owner, Hal, um, was a columnist, a, a publicist, and um, he went to Calcutta to be with Mother Teresa to, to serve years ago. And he sat down with Mother Teresa, and he began to serve, and she said, Hal, let me ask you a question. What are you doing to care for the poor in your city of Springfield? And he said, well, well, Mother Teresa, I, uh, I couldn't feed hundreds of people. I, I couldn't do that. I, I, my job isn't positioned in a way in which I can do that. To which she said, Powell, if you can't feed hundreds, feed one. Feed one. 
So Hal flew back to the great American city of Springfield, and he found somebody that was hungry, and he fed that person. He found another person that was hungry, and he fed that person, and as he started to do these things, it started to change his heart where you guys know whenever you begin to pour yourself into something, you begin to view the world differently. Like, like if you ever, um, st- have you ever bought a new car and you thought you were like the only person out of that car and then all of a sudden you found out that everybody else on that, uh, has that car and you're like, I never even saw that car and now I want one and everybody has it. Like, have you ever noticed that when you notice something, you notice something? Yeah. And so he began to notice poverty and he began to notice things and as they're walking me through the, Convoy of Hope Warehouse, which is 300,000 square feet. They begin to tell me that over the last 20 years, Convoy of Hope has fed 67 million people. Mother Teresa, I can't feed 100 people. No, you've fed 67 million people over the last 20 years. And I think a lot of us get to this place where we look at some of the challenges in our spiritual life, we look at some of the challenges in the church, and we go, I can't do that. And I think the greatest deterrent for many of us ever doing anything is step one. You all know you can relate to that. Anybody ever here tried to start saving or try to start losing weight or try to start some some habits? The hardest step is one. And you know what it is? It's that first step that keeps all of us from doing anything. I was thinking about this. You know, I'm a dad now, two boys, and so you you have these new cravings for your kids. You know, you you crave for them um, to have joy. You craved for them to risk. And one of the things I was thinking about is, you ever thought about how much we value security over risk? Like, here's the thing. I have this fear that someday I'm going to be on my deathbed and I'm going to be processing through my life and I'm going to go, gosh, I I didn't really risk it all. I didn't really experience everything that I could have. I played it safe. And you know what the problem with playing things safe is? Remember that, remember that time you bought that, that car or that house or that new clothes? Remember those first couple days how rad you felt? Do you remember that? You're like, I look phenomenal in this. This house is amazing. Oh, this car. (sighs) This car, right? Can you think of anything? Can you think of anything that you invested in uh, that's, you know, uh, physical that after a while you're now like, this kind of sucks. This outfit's not cool anymore. This house is falling apart. This car is, you know what I'm saying? You get my point? So what we do is we, we position our lives to acquire And then we acquire so much that we're stuck in this place and we don't risk. We don't take those steps to really say, what is it that is out there? And I think the reason why is because we really haven't taken ownership in our spiritual lives. I think we've had association with our spiritual lives, but not ownership. God's word says this in 1 Timothy 6, 12, and I love it. It says, fight the good fight of faith. Take hold. Everybody say, take hold. hold. Everybody say, take hold. Take hold hold of the eternal life to which you were called when you were made, when you made your good confession in the presence of many witnesses. Take hold, grasp it, seize it. I love what God's word says. It says this, fight the good fight and take hold of your faith. 
Take hold of it. Grasp it. And I love it. If you begin to uh, look at what the definitions of take hold means, it means this. Stop something that is already in motion. That's what take hold means. It means that something is already in motion and you've got to stop it. Examples that you would see in the, in the dictionary would be like, like a, an elevator closing and you stick in your hand in and you stop something that's already in motion. Or chasing something that's already moving. And here's what I want to tell you today. The spirit of God and God's kingdom is radically moving every single day and it's blowing by you. It's blowing by me. God's kingdom is on earth and it's moving by you. Just like 20 years ago, God's kingdom swept in front of Hal's face and said, feed one, grasp, take hold, seize that calling and watch what I do in your life. God's word says this, fight the good fight and take hold of the eternal life. Grab something that's moving. ask you this question. When was the last time you did something in your faith that scared you? This is what I love, this is what I love about the church. You ready? Bible studies. Oh, our, oh we, we, love, we love to devour some Bible studies, don't we? You know what I learned? You know what I know? Congratulations. Seriously. Google it. I could get the same information. No, it's just funny because we're so convinced that we're moving in the spirit of God because we do all these safe things. When really we're a bunch of cowards. No, not you, the person next to you, not you. No, you're bold, you're a risk taker. Your life has got spiritual scars all over it from the time that you shared your faith and you invested financially and you responded to the spirit of God. Not you. No, not you. No, probably you. And you know what the hard part is? Nobody ever likes to just have honest talk, do they? No, because we're all just too prideful for that. And that sometimes I don't get, you know, I, I, I was a lead pastor. I started a church for 10 years of my life. From the age of 23, I, I raised what little money I could. My wife and I jumped in a car. We drove 3,000 miles to a city. We didn't know anybody, and we started a church and four months ago, I gave up my salary to start another company because I felt like God was telling me to do it. At 33 years old, my wife was staying at home. We had a nice house. We got two kids. Life's good. And I felt the spirit of God blowing by, and I was like, what am I going to do? I mean, I, you, you know what I was I was 30, I'm in my mid-30s. I'm positioned well. I can start to work on my golf game. I can start to have coffee with everybody and be a pastor, Right? Tell me your problems over, over a round of golf. Doesn't that sound great? I'm here for you. You're picking this up, right? I won't charge you for the counseling, just the round, all right? That's not taking hold. That's not taking hold. That's playing it safe. And God's word specifically says this, fight the good fight and stop something that's in motion. The spirit of God is blowing by you with vision and calling and promptings. It's blowing by you and we're going Bible study, we're going safety, we're going association and it's blowing by you and somebody else is catching it. 
Because God's kingdom will not be stopped. It'll just blow by you until somebody else stops it. God's kingdom is not dependent on you. It's not needy for you. It will find someone. And you'll sit back there and go, I don't know why God doesn't do anything through me. Because you're scared. Because you're lazy. Because you're comfortable. And these kind of talks irritate some of you. You're like, this little pompous... Well, I don't care because you know what? I'm not doing that way. I'm risking. I'm going for it. And God's word tells us to do this. It's not me. Get mad at Paul. (laughs) Paul. Must have been so easy. He saw Jesus. Shipwrecked, beat, making tents so he can eat. Yeah, it was easy. Matthew. I love this take hold. I love this take hold because there's a verse that echoes it, and I want to show you this because I want you to understand how God moves. I want you to understand how God moves because most of us go, I don't want to risk because what if, right? Come on. What if God doesn't come through and then I have to reconcile in my faith that God is not faithful? You know how many of us are scared to risk because what if God doesn't come through and then what do I do with that? Isn't it easier to pretend that God is faithful? <laughs> right? He is faithful, but I never put him to the test. Because it's way easier. Listen to this. Matthew 14, 28 through 31. Some of you are probably so irritated right now. I'm sorry if you are. I only come up now and then. Matthew 14, verse 28. Matthew 14, verse 28. Jesus is walking on the water because that's what Jesus does. He does abnormal things. He defies the law. And so he's walking on the water. And Peter, I love Peter. Don't you love Peter? I mean, can't we all just go, yeah, that's me, right? Love this. So Peter, Lord, if that's you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. And I love this. Come to me, he said. That same phrase, this this is what Jesus said. Seize the moment. Take hold of the moment. It's the same word. Lord, if that's you in motion on the water, if your spirit's moving, tell me. And Jesus says, seize it. Stop the moment. Take hold of it. Peter, as dumb as anybody, jumps out. Love it. Peter got out of the boat and started walking on the water, came towards Jesus. But what happened? Come on. Anybody relate? He saw the wind and was afraid and began to sink and cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately Jesus reached out, and I love this. That phrase, caught him, is that same one as well. See, caught, he says it seized him. It says that Jesus seized him. But this is what I love about this, this, this command, is that, is, is, is that Peter began to sink in motion. What did Jesus do? Seized him, and he caught him. In other words, here's the command. Go seize the spirit of God in the kingdom that's moving. And when you begin to fail, we've got a king that will seize us right back and pulse right back up. It's the teeter-totter process of faith. There's a promise. There's a command and a promise. And the command is the same as the promise. You go stop something in motion. And if you begin to go in motion the wrong way, I will be there for you. It's the command and the promise are the same. And I love this moment because here's the thing. There, uh, Peter's in the boat. Like, this is the boat, just so we know, okay? Isn't the boat nice? The boat's, nice. the boat's warm. We get to eat with the word. 
We get to worship with the, the water and the spirit. You see the, what we're doing here? See how this is all great? This is the boat. Isn't the boat nice? We can play cards. We can do Bible studies. This is the boat. Nothing wrong with the boat. The boat's good. We need the boat. The boat is where we eat. The boat is where we drink. The, the, the boat is where we get nourished. But Jesus calls us out of the boat. He says, come to the boat, get fueled, get geared up to get out of here. Because that's where the Spirit of God's moving. This is where the Spirit of God is filling. There's where the Spirit of God's moving. So you come here and you go, Lord, fill me. Fill me with word. Fill me with worship. Fill me with the, with the, with the Spirit of other believers. And then let me get out and catch what God's doing and seize it and stop it. You know, you're not going to do that in here. Think about the, like, emotional up and downs that, that the other disciples probably went through when that happened. Lord, if that's you, tell me to come. And he gets out and everybody's like, Peter always has the guts. And then Peter starts to sink and they're like, Peter's so dumb. <laughs> and then God brings Peter back up like, man, Peter had a Jesus moment. While they sat in the boat. And you know what? Those are the same responses we have to people all the time. That person has so much guts, man. They risk so much for the Lord. <laughs> I knew it. They were going to fail. Oh, Jesus was there for them, and they're better than they've ever been. And I'm still in the boat. I'm still in the boat. And I believe this with all my heart. I believe until the time Jesus returns, the kingdom of God will be moving in motion all around us. I may have told this story last time I come up. I, I tell it often. Um, when I was 26, I was at a fundraiser, and Ken Blanchard was there. He's a kind of a leadership guru guy. And um, he said, um, a lot of you guys ask me what the secret of my success is. And he said, it's, it may bore a lot of you, but I'll tell you anyway. He said, every morning I get up. Every morning. I've, I've done this for 30 years. Every morning I get up and I say, good morning, God. What are you up to today and how can I help? See, this is what a lot of our prayers are. Good morning, God. Here's what I'm doing. I'd love to invite you in. But you know, we don't even, we feel pretty good about that, right? Because like we've gone from not even asking God, not even inviting God. Now we've progressed to inviting God into our plans. This is a big step. And I just want you to know your plans and my plans are really not that exciting compared to God's plans. So I was 26 years old and I started praying this every morning. I've never missed a day. Good morning, God. What are you up to today and how can I help? What are you doing? I got a whole laundry list of stuff I want to do. I got dreams and, and aspirations and desires. I'd love for you to stamp yourself all over. Amen? Lord, bless that. Anybody ever get, you got that prayer down? Lord, I just want to pray for favor and blessing over that in the name of Jesus stampsies, whatever we need to do, you know? We got that down. We know how to position ourselves to ask for God's blessing. The question is, do we know how to position ourselves to get right in the middle of the Spirit of God and the kingdom moving? And I love this simple thing. Good morning, God. What are you up to today? What are you doing? How can I help? I'd love for you to bring me in. I'd be humbled if you brought me in. 
It says that when Jesus pulled Peter out of the water, it says that the disciples were in awe. Let me ask you a question. When was the last time you were in awe of God? I'm, I mean awe, just like, wow. Only God. Only God. When was the last time that paralleled the risk that you took? Because sometimes we get in awe of what God did in somebody else's life, right? Like the disciples did. They were like, wow, God. I love that phrase, they were in awe, because it reminds me of the first church in Acts. We learn a lot about this first church. We learn about how they position themselves. And I want to I walk you through just real basics, some basic things that you know. Here's the thing. Very few times do we ever get up here and open up God's word and you're like, well, I didn't know that. No, sometimes we just need to go, oh, yeah. Right? Oh, yeah. So let's do some oh, yeah stuff. Acts 2, verse 42. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Everyone was filled in awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. I love this. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who was in need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes. They ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to the number daily who were being saved. I love this because God's word gives us equation for how we get in awe. I love the equation for how we get in awe. You ready? Here's the first one. They devoted the, everybody say devotion. devotion. We all know what it means. All right? Devotion doesn't mean half in, half out. But look what they were devoted to. I love this first thing. They were devoted to God's word. They were just devoted to it. They just said, we believe that God's word can change our lives. They were devoted to learning and discovering God's word. It's one of the hardest things. Maybe not for you, but I'll be honest with you. One of the hardest things for me is to get in God's word every day. It's hard. And it's hard for a lot of reasons. Sometimes it's time. Sometimes I don't want to. Anybody else ever look at your Bible and you're like, oh. no, really? I do. I mean, it's honest. You know, sometimes I sit there. I, I start my work day at 6 a.m. And I get there and I, and I purposely put my Bible right on my desk because it, it's like hot. You know what I mean? It's like, open me. And I'm like, you know, anybody else, like your emails are coming in on your phone, you're getting there, you, you, you know, and I, I, I get in there, I get everything ready, I get my oatmeal and my coffee, and I sit down, I get ready to work, and God's word's like, open me, and I'm like, <laughs> but I, I, I'm like, I got to get devoted to God's word. Devotion doesn't ask, do you want to? Devotion never asks how you feel. Devotion never asks, do you have time? Devotion says do. And so I made a commitment. I was like, Lord, I'm going to get in your word every day, and I'm going to read it until I get something that I can hold on to. Sometimes I get totally lucky, and the first verse is, bam, there it is. And I'm like, sweet, thank you, Lord. <laughs> Just being honest. Sometimes I read it, and I'm like, oh, that was a good word. I needed that. Boom, done. Sometimes I'm like, come on, Lord. <laughs> Speak to me. But I want to be devoted. I want to be devoted to the word of God. I love the second one. It's God's people. 
It says they, they were devoted to the fellowship and the breaking of bread. You know what they were devoted to? Other people in their lives speaking truth and love to them. Who do you got in your life that just does this stuff? You know what I mean? Calls you outside of your spouse because that never goes well anyway, right? You need someone other than your spouse to do this. Yeah, I don't think you're walking with the Lord. Shut up. You know, you're like, you, you need somebody, like you need like a friend or a brother or sister just to walk with you. Who do you got in your life that's just whispering in you? Hey, man, how are you? Oh, yeah, I'm good. Really good. Unpack, I'm good for me. Don't you love that? I'm good. Well, tell me, go deeper than I'm good. I love already practicing this with my four-year-old. How was your day? It was good. Help me understand that. What was so good? Dad, buddy, this is like 20 more years of this. So let's <laughs> be honest with you. I just want you to prepare now. This is it's only going to get worse as you get more complex. God's spirit, I love this. It says prayer. It's where God speaks to us. He communes with us there. I love this. It says they're devoted to God's word, God's people, and God's spirit. That prayer, just going, God, what are you up to? How can I help God speak to me? God, whisper to me. God, unpack me. And it says as they did those things, they were in awe. Because as you begin to get in God's word, it speaks to you. As you begin to get with God's people, it speaks to you. As you begin to get into prayer, God speaks to you. And then you know what happens? You respond. You respond. God's word says this in Acts 4, 32 through 35. I love this. All the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that anything, no one claimed that any of their possessions was their own, but they shared everything they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. You know what I love? With great power. With great power. Um, our church, um, about three years ago, we were, we were revving on all, all cylinders. We were filling out a couple services and things were going great. We decided to, we decided to take a risk and start another campus and it failed miserably. Anybody ever failed at anything? Oh man, it was a, it failed miserably bled us dry emotionally, financially, spiritually. It was a horrible, horrible thing, but it was beautiful. But the, one of the things that happened when we did that was that people lost ownership in our church because we were so busy trying to push something forward and we were so busy, stretched so thin, and, and we lost vision. We lost our vision for why we existed. It's easy sometimes to get so busy being spiritual so busy trying to do the right things that you kind of forget why you're here. Do you know what I mean? Anybody ever relate to that? So we looked at our church and all of a sudden our giving was jacked, our attendance was jacked. Everybody was just like, I hate this church. I'm like, I know me too. Figure it out. <laughs> Hang in there. I don't like it either. All right, so Relax. You know, and you look around, and I'll be honest with you. I'm going to just be honest with you. We, we, we decided to get back to our roots, and so for, for our church, it's, we, we're really focused. We always have been. Our history is always really focused on, on poverty. It's a big thing that 
I just think our generation is like crazy selfish and just entitled and we have so much stuff and I just think it's super toxic and, and so we just, we combat that by like attacking as best we can poverty and we realize like we haven't been doing that and so we, we challenged our church to do this thing called fit in where our whole, the whole shtick was people don't feel like they fit in at church uh, but also we have a lot of people, albeit at San Diego, but during the winter, it still gets cold there and they won't fit into their sweaters and their shoes. And so we decided to launch this campaign called Fit In where everybody would go to their workplaces and they would challenge people to bring shoes and sweaters because homeless people don't fit into their stuff. But then why don't you come to church because you think you don't fit in, but maybe you see the little play on the words we did there. Pretty cute, huh? And so we did that. And man, within like two weeks, we had like three, 400 pairs of shoes and 500 sweaters and all these things. And all these people were posting stuff on Instagram and all their CrossFits were getting behind it. We had four or five guys that are young professionals in their 30s go door to door, knocking on door to door, saying, hey, we're doing this thing. Did you know that homeless people don't fit into their stuff? Do you have any extra shoes? It was like, dude, I, people were like, I like our church again. I'm like, yeah, me too. I told you to hang in there. It's just, it's not so bad anymore. It's kind of cool. So I'm going to tell you that like our church was broke in some areas, not completely, but it was broke. There were some areas that were broke, and it was an ownership thing. So, you know, whenever the, whenever the guest comes in to speak, every, they're always like, hey, you need to tell these people these things, right? Because you don't have to, you know, it's kind of like uh, a therapist. You don't have to go home with the people so you can tell them whatever they want, you know? So I was like, hey, man, remind them about two services, and hey, we need more volunteers, and go get them, you know? And I'm like, hey, you should... So I'm sitting here this morning, and I'm like, well, anything that, you know, what's going on? Well, we need more volunteers. Well, how many volunteers do you need? We need 30. I'm like, that's easy. 30? 30 volunteers? Okay. No, no, you don't understand. Like, we're not going to get 30 volunteers. So I started betting your staff, financially, betting them. No, I did. I was like, look, I'll get up there and make the pitch, but I want to get paid if this works. <laughs> and I kind of thought they wouldn't bet me because they were like, no, we're going to get it. And then they started pulling out 20s, and I was like, yeah, let's go. Here's, here's my rub. Here's, here's, here's where I'm struggling. And let's just talk about it, and you can't really talk back because that'd be weird, but let me just talk to you. So, like, you need to go to two services, right? Like, just all the studies show, I'm sure Phil said this, all the studies show that once a place is at 85%, new people come in, they feel awkward. Like, if you were new right now, where are you going to sit? Right here? Hi. Awkward. Right? Like, they need a little space to kind of feel like they can fit in. And um, So, you need to go to two services. But, like, if you go to two services, like, Somebody shows up for the first time. Who's going to greet him? Oh, Tom will greet him. But Tom greets first service. Yeah, well, Tom can take a beating. So, he, you know, put him out there in second one too, right? <laughs> Tom's, Tom's from a different generation. You know, he, he can do two. Yeah, and then Tom does two for like four weeks and he gets super irritated because he's burned out and somebody comes in and Tom's like, park there! Right? Because, yeah, Tom is from a di different generation. The generation doesn't feel. And so Tom's overreacting on everybody. <laughs> I 
let me not talk about volunteering, but let me just speak one thing to you. God wants you out of this boat. I promise you. And you never know when someone's going to pull up here and just need you to love them. Just be nice. You know? Just say, hey, welcome. You know, and passing the offering buckets and stuff, it's, it's not sexy, let's be honest, right? It's awkward, as a matter of fact. Hey, <laughs> Helping people park, offering, children's. You know, these, these don't seem like these big, rad faith moments, but you know what they are? They're obedience moments. And obedience is the start to faith. So I'm going to be honest with you. I'm not going to be here next Sunday. I'm not going to be here the Sundays after, and I may never come back. We'll see how the reviews go. <laughs> but you know, God wants to meet you in some really cool places. And you know what? You might be like, dude, I don't, I don't want to do offering. I want to do and you know what's funny? Don't we teach our kids all this stuff? You know, it's like, be faithful in the small things, and then I'll give you more. Let's see if you can clean your room, then I'll let you give you. You know, we do all that, but then when it comes time for us to do it spiritually, we're like, well, I don't want to. I just want to, here's the thing. We need 30 people that are willing to get out of the boat for the next season. Just a deal. It's not fair. Look at this. Look what this says. All the believers had one in heart and one in mind. They moved as a unit. They moved as a unit. It's not fair for all these guys to double up every service. It's not fair to them. It's not fair to new people coming in. It's not fair to the spirit of God moving. And, and so there's one, I would say. It's just, it's not right. But the second thing is this, what if, what if, think about that guy Hal from Convoy of Hope when he said, I can't feed 100. That was like his dream, I'll feed 100 people. And he went back and he fed one person. He got out of the boat and did one thing, not knowing where it was going to go. Convoy of Hope is $150 million. It's one of the top five disaster relief NGOs in the world. 67 million people have been fed. 20 years old, that's it. You're not going to be an usher forever. You might not do parking forever. But you don't even know what that one step of obedience would open up. So I would challenge you on two thoughts. Number one, all the believers were in one heart and one mind. They moved together. We need 30 people to move with us. And I promise you right now, if you feel in your heart guilty, that's not guilt. That's Jesus. And he's saying, do it. Trust me, be obedient. So here's the thing, there's sign-ups right outside here, and there's sign-ups right outside here. And I don't know if 30 you'll do it, but nobody else thinks you will. But I don't believe that. I believe there's 30 people in here that say, I want to take the first step of getting out of the boat because I don't want to stay here forever. I want more. And if more starts with the little things, if more starts with just the day-to-day -day honoring this bride, then I want to start there. If you can't feed a hundred, feed one. 
If you don't have time to do greater things, then have time to do the first thing. 30 people. Let's get ready for this second service. Let's make room. Let's not stay here because we want to go there. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let me pray a blessing over.